This is the Tribune Audio Network. For 52 years, she was Helen Dalton, wife, mother of two. Now, she is simply Case 22752. And I do believe that this case was investigated to the, it wasn't just something that they worked on for a little while and then just put it off to the side. But every road we went down in trying to find out what happened to her. The number you have dialed is not in service. Seemed to lead nowhere. Please check the number and try again. But that doesn't mean Helen disappeared. It says here, we are of the opinion that Mr. Dalton knows of the whereabouts of his wife. And for a while, the Greensboro Police Department thought they knew where Helen was too. So I bet we were digging right back where that that sign is. That That looks just about right. From the Tribune Audio Network, I'm Fox 8's Bob Buckley, and this is The Day Helen Disappeared. Case files and stuff. Helen Dalton has now been gone longer than she was alive. On April 3rd, 1963, she dropped her then 14-year-old daughter, Bonnie, off at Grimsley High School in Greensboro, North Carolina, and was never seen nor heard from again. The case file at the Greensboro Police Department provides the only glimpses we have into who she was. There's a card in there that Detective Say filled out. He lists Helen as 52 years old with dark brown hair and blue eyes. She's five foot seven, weighs 150 pounds, and is of Swedish descent. Not much to go on. With the Dalton case, uh, the trail became really cold from the beginning because there was a delay. Uh, Mr. Dalton did not report his wife missing. That report came from a sister who lived in Dearborn, Michigan, and she hadn't heard from her, from her sister. And uh, so she came down here, she drove down here to see what was going on. Not much of anything was going on. The police had no leads, and Helen's husband, Don, didn't seem too concerned that she was gone. The investigators back then always suspected the husband of foul play or having something to do with her disappearance. Um, but then he passed away uh, many years ago, and no remains were ever found. There was a little more in that note in the police case file than you heard me read earlier. Something that the detective typed at the end. It says here... We are of the opinion that Mr. Dalton knows of the whereabouts of his wife, but he does not care to reveal it. At the time when they're doing the investigation, what is that missing piece that keeps them from really pursuing him as a possible suspect? It's just the fact that you don't have any forensic evidence. You don't evidence. have any forensic evidence. You don't have a body. You suspect foul play, but you don't have, I mean, we didn't even have DNA back in 1963. Mm -hmm. um, so there was no, um, could she just have gone off into the night? with someone. I mean, that's possible, yeah. but she also had two children at home yeah, that that whoever investigators talked to would say that she loved her children, that she would have never just left them at home. But this was not a case where you see a road and can follow it. This is like Helen just disappeared in a puff of smoke. Where do you start? I was surprised how many dead ends we ran into. Yeah, it, it started to get a little bit discouraging there to a point because 
the people who wrote the news articles weren't around. If they were around, they didn't remember it. If they did remember it, they didn't remember it enough to talk about. So that was a dead end. The family wasn't huge on talking to us. The very few of them that are actually still alive didn't really want to talk. Similar story, dead ends, dead ends. Law enforcement side is where we had a little bit more luck tracking the story down anyway. Law enforcement. This gives us the general layout of how the original land laid. And at government offices. As a journalist, you learn to work the documents. That's why our trail begins at the Register of Deeds office in downtown Greensboro. October 28, 1954, the property was sold to Don F. Dalton and Helen E. Dalton. Cindy Bennett has laid out on a table in the office a map of the property where the Daltons lived in Greensboro. And there's an interesting note on the paperwork for 112 Mears Chapel Road that Cindy reads to us. It says that Helen disappeared from her place of residence on April 3rd, 1963. And after diligent inquiry, her whereabouts remain unknown to these parties. That was handwritten, added to the legal paperwork, probably to ensure the property could be passed to her husband or maybe to the kids, Bonnie and Don Jr. But that house is no longer there. If you like the day Helen disappeared, check out another Fox 8 podcast called Who Killed Jennifer Short? Tess Bargeber, a mother and father killed execution style in their Virginia home and their nine-year-old daughter Jennifer kidnapped. She has been captured, forcibly taken and abducted. Download Who Killed Jennifer Short wherever you get your podcasts. We do have an ordinance for demolition of the house that was done in uh, August 29, August 29th, 1986. 86. 86. The house may be gone, but the kids who lived there are not. And that's who we wanted to talk to. We found an address for Helen's daughter, Bonnie, in Louisville, which is just west of Winston-Salem, about a 40-minute drive from where the house was. Here it is. It's a long street of nice-looking upper-middle-class homes. At the end is a cul-de-sac with four mailboxes and a metal gate the kind that will open when you punch a code into the keypad beside it. Is this a call button? No. No? You can only get a slight glimpse of any of the houses which are hidden behind trees. There's no way to get in to knock on a door, so we leave a business card in the mailbox that matches Bonnie's address that we found, asking her to call us. When we don't hear from her after a few days, we start making some calls. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. But just like that road that led to Bonnie's house, they are mostly dead ends. We did get one voicemail on a phone number in Las Vegas. Hi, my name is Derek Stetzler. I work with Fox 8 WGHP in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm trying to get in touch with Don Dalton. We left a message for Don Jr., but we never heard back. Go for two. Then we strike gold with our last number. 
Hi, may I speak with Bonnie, please? A woman answers the phone and confirms for us that she's Bonnie Dalton. Derek explains to her why we're calling, that we had received a call from her childhood friend's mother, Nancy. She basically told me that, um, that she's getting older and that her husband had passed and she was going through some of her old things and his old things when he passed. And going through it just kind of made her think and made her wonder whatever happened. She Bonnie said made it clear from the beginning that she had no interest in talking to us at least not now. She said that 25 years ago, she'd be more open to talking about this with us. She's a grandmother. She's focused on her family. She's focused on the life that she did build and not the life that she wasn't able to build. That's understandable. Bonnie was just a kid when her mom dropped her off at school, said she'd be back in a few hours to take her to the dentist. But Bonnie never saw her mother again. That has to be hard on anyone. But there was one last thing Bonnie said to Derek on the phone. She said, If you find something out, I'd like to know what you find. Despite a lack of leads in this case, it hasn't always been cold. In 1993, seven years after the Dalton's house on Muir's Chapel was torn down, there was a lot of development going on around that part of town. New neighborhoods were being built, and businesses grew up to support them. On the corner of Muir's Chapel and Market Street, within feet of where the Dalton's home stood, there is now a grocery store. Then a credit union went up and a blockbuster video. In fact, the only lot not developed was the Dalton's, but it seemed theirs had to be next. So a couple of people sent tips into the Greensboro Police Department back in 93. Both tips were anonymous and they said that there was a well on the Dalton property back behind the house near where Don had his workshop. And they very well might find Helen's remains in there. About 30 feet from my desk here at Fox 8 is the archive room. That's where we keep all the tapes of stories that we've done. And there it was on tape D23. All it said on the tape box was, Greensboro Dig, Missing Person. It's video of the excavation the police department did in 93 because of those tips. Large bulldozers and digging equipment going down into that well. It's usually a shot in the dark and unless you've got some really reliable witness information, somebody that saw something that ties directly to that well. But I don't think there was that really a high expectation that we would find something. It was just one of the things that was being checked off the list as part of the investigation. Every once in a while we would If get anyone would find something there, it would be someone like Georgie Bogdan. One of my favorite cases was um, to do a forensic analysis on a 1,600-year-old Mayan king. Georgie is a forensic anthropologist, you know, just like Temperance Brennan in those books by Kathy Reichs that were later turned into the hit Fox TV show, Bones. Are you kind of like the real-life Temperance Brennan? <laughs> well, um, that's kind of a, a funny question. Um, the writer, um, Kathy Reichs, who's a producer, was a reader on my thesis. She's a little bit older than me, and so she and I did a lot of work together at UNC Charlotte. She would come down from uh, Toronto, um, Canada, and, and teach at Charlotte and then go back up there in the summer. And so, yes, um, and 
And so my license plate reads Bones. I was the first called Bones. There are some differences, though. I do not wear high heel shoes when I go out in the field. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my nails are tools. They're not personal adornment items. Uh, and we don't usually solve a crime in 45 minutes. Back in 1993, Georgie was in the anthropology department at UNC Greensboro, and that's where the Greensboro Police Department turned when it needed to find out if Helen really was at the bottom of that well. We're usually called to a scene um, to determine whether there are human remains there and if we can tease any information out of those remains. Usually we're called on when there are no facial features left and no fingerprints, so there are no soft tissue identification identification. This was a quick turn for Georgie and her anthropology colleagues, the scientific equivalent of coming up on some spot news. There was very little we knew about the case beforehand, and that's typical. We, um, as scientists, want to go in with our scientific methods and be there without as little bias as possible. So we were told that there was an individual that had possibly um, gotten buried in the bottom of this well, and that's what we were looking for. So it's been 26 years. Have you been back here much since? I travel this road quite a bit. <laughs> drive by, you've got to think about drive it Drive by, time. I do, um, yep. We brought Georgie back to that lot where the Dalton's house once stood, where the well was. We are probably standing right about where the well would have been. The house was in front. Amazing the difference 25 years 25 years, absolutely. Yeah, look at how tall these, some of these trees are. The lot looks like it's been a long time since anyone's cared for it. You can barely see the big wooden for sale sign that's been sitting there for 30 years now, even though it's eight feet tall. The trees and brush are so thick, you have to constantly keep your arms up to push them aside as you try to make your way through to where the well was. Do you see a well, Bob? No. When they did the excavation back in 93, they quickly removed any trees or bushes that were left on the lot after the house had been torn down. So we, we remained on the site for several days. I remember it was very cold. It was in December. It was, it was different because we did not have a body yet. We were searching for one. As we walk around the lot, Georgie remembers it like the excavation was just last month. So yeah, so I bet we were digging right back where that, that sign is. That, that looks just about right. Georgie and her colleagues got down about 75 feet. The bulldozers just started cutting away at the layers. But the well was 100 feet deep. They weren't anywhere near the bottom when the trouble hit. And then the hole got so big it got close to the edge of the, um, the street, and that's and that was beginning to get dangerous. Um, it was crumbling in from sort of under the street where people were standing. It was unsafe. The sides of the um, hole that they were digging were caving in, um, and it just was not safe for them to be digging or for anybody else to try to go down there to do anything. They had to abandon the dig before they found anything. But that doesn't mean that something isn't still down there, down at the bottom of the well, wherever that is, in all this brush. 
as long as it stays like this, and if there is evidence there, there's a chance you could someone could solve this case. But once this is developed, Right. If there's a building that's put on top of the well, then there's no. But if this does get developed, that would be clearing the area. Um, that I, I would say more than likely, unless the water table had gotten to it, um, that there would be skeletal remains. But we don't have a body. We don't have Helen's husband still around to talk to. It seems like a lost cause. I don't think we show enough appreciation for the people that are out there doing this every day. Uh, that are constantly being told, well, that happened in the past. Well, I don't really care about that. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And they tenaciously still move forward trying to work on these cases. That's Mike Wilson. He's a veteran cold case investigator, did it for years with the State Bureau of Investigation, and now as something of a freelancer in retirement. We brought the case file to Mike, but we also brought the pessimism of our months of investigation. It seems looking at this that the chances of ever getting a resolution are extremely remote. To that I would say never say never. Mike Wilson then proceeds to show us why we shouldn't give up on this case. Hear that in the next episode of The Day Helen Disappeared. Please rate our podcast, and if you can, leave a comment. That's really how the word gets out. And we wouldn't mind if you told a friend or two. The Day Helen Disappeared is written and reported by me, your host, Fox 8's Bob Buckley. Derek Stetzler helped with both the research and the reporting. Chris Weaver is our producer and editor. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.